When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Live from Liverpool, the Dark Paranormal, Season 7. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Dark Paranormal. Before we get into today's episode, I need to say a big thank you to everyone who's reaching out to the show. From stories to comments to theories on the cases that we've covered, your contributions really do give this a wonderful sense of community. And for that, I thank each and every one of you. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can email us at thedarkparanormal at hotmail.com or you can find us on Instagram at thedarkparanormal or you can head over to Twitter and find my personal podcast page at Eustace if you want to put a face to the voice, that is. On today's show, we have a wonderfully mysterious personal paranormal experience. As you will no doubt know, our main themes seem to be around poltergeist activity or the darker side of apparitions. Occasionally, however, we will receive a story which seems to come from something which is nowadays termed as a liminal space an uncomfortable location that you just can't put your finger on. And it's from these liminal spaces that we seem to get the more interesting paranormal phenomena, things which have no obvious reason as to why they're there, or what their intentions are. We're often left with two things, one, the experience, and two, the theories of why that experience may have happened. But occasionally, we receive a third part of the puzzle, Pieces of information would seem to put some concrete blocks down in one of those theories and make it the more likely candidate. And that's exactly what we have here in this fascinating true paranormal experience. However, before we get to today's true paranormal experience, I of course need to thank our supporters of the show. When you choose to support the Dark Paranormal, not only do you receive these episodes ad-free and before everyone else. But you also receive a weekly Patreon-only podcast called Dark Bites. Dark Bites runs every week, even on the downtime between seasons, meaning you never miss your paranormal fix. And aside from that new episode each and every week, you will get access to the entire back catalogue of over 50 episodes of the Dark Bites show, which would give you access to over 24 continuous hours of paranormal content to binge on. We've built a wonderful community of like-minded paranormal enthusiasts over on Patreon, and we'd like to extend an exclusive invitation just for you. Simply head over to patreon.com forward slash thedarkparanormal, just like these wonderful new team members have. 
Maria de Leon, Sarah Lee, Shayla Madrid, Marianne Paul, Glow, Deborah Blackshaw, Kevin Smith, Lucy, Jen McKeers, Gustavo Ferrer, Kevin McClintock, Gabby, Chase Lanham, Dan Needham, Michelle, Joe Shock, Tommy Jordan, Giselle Norris, Will Palmer, Cecilia Canciola, Sydney Conroy, Kate, John Shattuck, William Torres, Kristen Lucas, Peyton Perez, Natalie Brander, Susie T, McCoy's Jams, Jeremy Mortensen, Eleanor Brinklow, Seven Lovely Days, Derek Saucier, Katie Reedy, Nicola Davis, Justine Inglis, Justine Kyle, Autumn Russell, Rashard C, Sophie Gantz, Lisa Taylor, and Daniel McGrath. Thank you so, so much, guys. I sincerely hope you enjoy all of the ad-free early releases and, of course, the additional Patreon-only podcast, Dark Bites. Now, before we go into today's true paranormal experience, we have had a suggestion to add in some trigger warnings at the start of each episode, especially given the content of some of these experiences. And it is an excellent idea. However, sometimes trigger warnings may give spoilers in a certain way. And the whole idea of creating the show The Dark Paranormal was to bring that level of fear back to the listener that you first felt as a child when you ran down the stairs in case something was chasing you. That innate primal fear that each and every one of us has experienced. That being said, I do completely appreciate there may be youngsters listening to this show who may be a little more affected than an adult listener. And therefore, what I will start to do is to put a general disclaimer at the start of each episode. These true paranormal listener-submitted experiences may contain graphic descriptions of death and mental and physical attack. Topics of suicide and murder may be discussed in detail. And of course, we are dealing with the darker side of the paranormal. Therefore, these stories may well cause nightmares. They certainly have for me on occasion. And therefore, listener caution is sincerely advised before you continue listening. And now, to get the most out of the show. Lower the lights. Make yourself comfortable. And of course, leave your disbelief at the door. As we hear all about an unholy darkness. My experience relates to a small rural village called Wharton, near to the railway town of Carnforth. Carnforth was made famous by the 1940s film A Brief Encounter, but is itself nestled between the city of Lancaster to the south, the home of the Pendle Witch Trials, and the beautiful natural expanse which is the Lake District to the north. Wharton is small, unimposing, a subdued yet picturesque village, which boasts an ancestral link to the first American president, George Washington. Allegedly, his ancestor, Lawrence Washington, helped found the local St. Oswald's Church. However, that church is far from the only religious landmark in the area, as Wharton is also home to the ruins of a 14th century rectory so you could say the area has a strong religious heritage. Perhaps this was the reason that my Catholic secondary school, which was an institution led by Carmelite brothers, or priests, selected the area for our annual school retreat. In the summer of 1979, me and 11 of my classmates travelled to Wharton Rectory, where the Catholic brothers organised a series of spiritual and reflective sessions mixed with walking, bird-watching, and other more leisurely pursuits. 
However, as is usual for teenagers that are away from their parents, for us boys, it was more of an opportunity to illicitly chat with girls in the beer garden of the local George Washington pub. Of the three priests who led the retreat, Brother Mark was the eldest, a quiet, emotionless man who must have been in his 70s at the time. Brother John was in his 40s and known around school as Fiery Jack on account of his flaming red hair and short temper. But as an English teacher, his abilities were second to none and his passion for Shakespeare was legendary. He really did have the ability to bring those dusty words to life. Brother Thomas was the youngest and, being in his early twenties, was not much older than the boys that he was teaching. I always liked Tom, not only because he was an avid bird watcher like me, but he also was interested in rock music, and his lessons could easily be sidetracked to a more interesting discussion about Pink Floyd or Led Zeppelin. On this particular night, we were returning from a walk across the locally notorious Morecambe Bay, which is famed for its perilous tides and hidden quicksands. Suffice to say that 1970s health and safety was not as robust as it is today, and such a walk would probably never be allowed. The rural lanes in this part of the world are truly spectacular, dividing the sheep's pastures, The slender lanes are flanked by dry stone walls over which ancient ash and alder trees spread their thick branches. Our accommodation was an old stone dormitory besides the rectory. It was almost in sight as we followed the worn path and entered a small copse. Although the daylight was rapidly fading, the small wood was alive with birdsong. It almost seemed like every bramble bush exploded with the loud rasping call of a wren or the alarm call of a blackbird. It was this bird song which brought us all to a halt in the gloaming twilight of the wood. It was truly mesmerising. The sound came from all around us. Never missing the opportunity to point out some bird or other, Brother Tom stopped us on the pathway. Listen, boys, he whispered. The birds are mobbing something in the bushes. It must be a tawny owl or a sparrowhawk. We all stared intently towards the thick bushes, which were the focus of the birds' scolding cries. We waited expectantly for a distressed owl to burst for its life from the thicket. However, the bird's song died down, and instead we were suddenly conscious of the sound of snapping twigs from in the midst of the bushes. It was as if something large was working its way through the thick tangle of undergrowth. Hold on, it must be a fox the birds are mobbing, declared Brother Tom confidently. Listen. We all remained still and silent as the snap of the branches moved closer. The birds now reached a crescendo of angry scalding and something I've never seen before or since. Swallows, birds which are normally confined to open pasture, swooped down into the woodland, seemingly to dive bomb what we were all led to believe was a large hidden fox. Again we fell still, transfixed and waiting in breathless silence for the animal to show itself. But then something happened 
which none of us could have anticipated. The twigs stopped snapping, and the birds stopped calling, and the copse was filled with an eerie silence. And then, from the midst of the bush, it started at a whisper and steadily grew in intensity, until we clearly heard a terrifying sound. I could only describe it as someone or something speaking in tongues. A terrifying build-up of angry, unknown languages surrounded us in the bushes like a malevolent whirlwind. We were utterly terrified to the point where several of the boys had unknowingly gripped the boy next to them, ready to make their escape. But we were not prepared for what was to happen next. A scene so terrifying that the images would stay in our minds for the next 40 years or more. The small woodland glade was now alive with the mixed sound of angry birds and angrier whispers. On hearing the demonic sounds, even Brother Mark, normally as emotionless as a stone, looked clearly horrified. At the front of the line, Brother Tom began to step backwards. It seemed as if he was about to command us to run. What happened next was so utterly disturbing that even today I can recall the details with an exactitude that only comes from a heightened sense of fear and dread. There, moving out of the tangle of bushes, an unnaturally tall figure slowly emerged onto the path. I can remember the look of terror on Brother Mark's face as, now standing on the path and staring directly at us, was this vision of a giant thing, apparition, entity. It must have literally been nine feet high. It was cloaked in the black vestiges of what looked like some ancient religious order. But some of the boys have since commented that the attire was more reminiscent of those old plague doctors who wore a tight sweeping cloak with black stockings and a wide-rimmed black hat. For what must have only been seconds, the apparition stood on the path and impassively stared down at us. "'Don't look at it, boys!' Father Tom ordered with this gravelly whisper, clearly frightened as he tried to shield the eyes of the boy in front of him. He desperately gave instructions. Boys, slowly walk back. Don't look at it. Then, more forcefully, back! Strangely, I found that in the shock, I had unwittingly dropped onto my knees, transfixed by the towering presence. And as the boys cautiously retreated down the path, I momentarily found myself as the last line of defense, staring directly into this thing's face. The only thing I can say is that the figure looked like some confused but powerful animal that instantaneously debates whether to retreat or attack. Just like an animal, its facial area seemed to be shrouded in a cloud of flies. For seconds, which seemed like a lifetime, the apparition stared straight at me, and then slowly and almost imperceptibly, it seemed to merge and fade with the branches and the twilight shadows, and was gone. Onwards, 
Onwards and no talking, commanded Brother Mark as he walked ahead, mumbling to his fellow clergy out of earshot, leaving us boys petrified and walking almost hand in hand behind them towards the welcoming safety of the dormitory. To all outward appearances, that evening proceeded with all the normality of the previous days, as the last slivers of sunlight disappeared behind the mountains of the Lake District. Brother Tom lit the fire pit for us all to gather round for our usual bedtime drink. As we gazed into the fire, each and every one of us shared the same thought. Just what had we all witnessed in that last hour? This same question must have also troubled the brothers, as Fiery Jack suddenly stood up beside the fire and addressed us. Boys, listen to me. I can't explain what we saw earlier. It's as much a mystery to me as it is to you. He then uncharacteristically hesitated, as if unsure what to even say. There are many things I can't explain, boys, but I know that God will protect us from evil, in whatever form that may be. And God is all-powerful, boys, all-powerful. So let's remember this as we bow our heads in prayer. I will always remember the fear and humility on the faces of these three devout men as we prayed. This scared me as much as the apparition itself. To have grown men, not just grown men, but grown men of God, be as confused and as terrified as a group of schoolchildren. Let's have a quick break to talk to you about Policy Genius. Now, we all like to put off life insurance talk because it reminds us of our mortality. But life insurance isn't about death, it's about life. It's about ensuring the lives of those you love remain secure and comfortable. And I'm sure many of you will think, well, I'm covered through work or I'm covered through my bank account. But believe me, you want to check those finer details because you may be surprised what you're actually covered for. And this is exactly where Policy Genius come into their own. Yes, we could talk about how Policy Genius is America's leading online insurance marketplace or how their award-winning agents will walk you step by step through the entire process. But the best thing about Policy Genius for me is they don't have a dog in the fight. They're not going to strong arm you towards one company or another. They've no incentive to do so. Their only incentive is to listen to your needs, scour America's top companies, and find you the best price. For example, with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that begin at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options even offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. There's a reason why Policy Genius has thousands of five star reviews on Google and Trustpilot, and you'll find out what it is when you tick life insurance off your to do list with Policy Genius. So head over to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you can save. That's policygenius.com. In a way, this is the end of my factual testimony. The memory has remained with me for decades. However, the final episode of this story is altogether more debatable, perhaps more confusing or coincidental but definitely equally as disturbing. That night, we took longer to get to sleep than previous nights, quite obviously. 
the diabolical image of that giant being must have played on everybody's mind. We slept on camp beds in a bare square dormitory room. On each side of the square were three beds. I don't know what time it was when I fell asleep, but I awoke with a sudden start just as dawn was beginning to break. In the twilight, I looked across to the boy sleeping next to me. It took a few moments to realise that his eyes were wide open and staring with a fixed, petrified gaze at something on the opposite side of the room. So all-consuming was his terror that he didn't even look at me or even acknowledge me but instead stirred transfixed at the opposite wall. Very slowly, I tracked the direction of his gaze, and there, creeping along the dormitory wall, was the animated shadow of the being that we'd encountered the previous evening. But, to my horror, I realised that this time, there was not one spirit, but two. The sight of these two giant shadows moving along the wall paralysed me with fear. I was literally unable to move. The shadows were identical. Of equal height, both body forms were almost shapeless, as if again wearing some sort of loose-fitting cloak. However, more terrifyingly, and quite clear within the shadow... Both of them wore a wide-rimmed hat. Adding to the utter fear within that room, there was no sign of their tangible being. My eyes shot back and forth from the window to the shadows. There was nothing that could be causing them. Yet still, their disembodied shadows slowly crept along the wall. All three boys in the eclipse of the shadows were deep in sleep and thankfully blissfully unaware of their macabre visitors. The two shadows were very different in their actions. One almost seemed to be an observer, whilst the other shadow stealthily moved towards the first boy. I was utterly petrified as the shadow approached the first boy, Ian Davies, a quiet and studious individual who loved anything sporty. But what the shadow did was bewildering. It seemed to hold Ian's head and shake the boy vigorously. Yet, in reality, Ian remained unmoved and mercifully fast asleep. Almost like a doctor on a ward inspection, the spirit then moved to the next in the trio. A boy named Alan Matlock, a well-built and strong 14-year-old who would later become a superb rugby player. This time, the spirit seemed to violently shake the whole of the boy's body into a frenzy. Again, Alan remained unmoved and deep in sleep. Finally, the spirit moved to the third boy. A thick-set, fast-talking Irish boy called Simon Palfrey, 
This time the spirit moved his hand slowly across Simon's face and hair. The movement was almost tender, certainly nowhere near as violent as with the first two boys. The spirit now clutched Simon's head, and just at that moment, for some inexplicable reason, this seemed to summon the other spirit into action. It literally seemed to float over to where Simon slept, but rather than interfere with the sleeping boy, the second spirit grabbed his shadowy companion. Instantaneously, all attention on the boy was lost as the two beings began to swiftly twist and snake around each other. Many times I've told this story, and I always refer to this unworldly dance as if the shadows were snakes, twisting and writhing in some sort of primitive ritual. Within seconds, this intense vortex of dark movement disappeared as quickly as it had begun. Outside the dormitory window, it was almost light. The birds were beginning to sing, and the day commenced as any other. So, was that a dream? Certainly, I've pondered this question a million times, and I've reached the conclusion that perhaps it was. However, that does little to explain how both I and the boy in the bed beside me witnessed exactly the same vision. Even now, in our fifties, we still recollect the events of that night with a shared agreement on all order and details of the spirit's actions. Perhaps it was a shared hallucination. I've got to say that the scientific, rational part of me says that that is possible. Perhaps the shadows on the wall were exactly that, just shadows on a wall brought to life by the imaginations of traumatised teenagers. However, I'd like to conclude this recollection by relating a series of bizarre events which occurred later in life, and I shall leave your listener to interpret these coincidences. Firstly, In his late 20s, Ian Davies, the boy who had his head vigorously shook by one of the shadows or spirits, became a successful high-end car salesman working for Mercedes, Bentley and the likes of those. On his way up to Scotland to deliver a car to a customer, Ian lost control of the vehicle and crashed at high speed into the stanchion of a bridge. He was instantly killed. Through a mutual friend, I later discovered that he was decapitated on impact. Against the protestations of his mother and father, Alan Matlock, the boy whose whole body was vigorously shook by the spirit, became a soldier, reaching the rank of captain. Whilst on a tour of duty in Afghanistan, Alan was blown up by a roadside IED, or improvised explosive device. The bomb brutally ripped through his body, killing him instantly. And as for Simon Palfrey, 
the boy whose head was seemingly caressed by the spirit. Well, in 2009, Simon collapsed in front of a group of eight-year-old children at the primary school in which he was the deputy headteacher. He was diagnosed with a brain tumour, which was initially thought to be inoperable. However, after much medical debate, an operation was performed as a last-ditch attempt to save his life. After a six-hour operation, Simon regained consciousness, to be told that against all expectations, his operation was a complete success. He now lives in Madison, Wisconsin, with his wife and four children. Occasionally, the remaining boys from that holiday meet up at some pub or other, and invariably our conversation drifts to the recollections of that terrifying evening in 1979. But even today, one opinion is shared by all of us that the giant entity in the wood that night was as real as the trees and the grass and the birds. That much is certain. The last time we all met was at the funeral of Brother John in 2017. John had suffered a long illness in which he'd made detailed arrangements for his own funeral. It was only after the funeral that I actually read the order of service. At the very bottom of the back page was a quotation in small block letters which could have easily been overlooked. It read, There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than ever dreamt of in your philosophy. I'm convinced that as Brother John penned these final words, taken from Shakespeare's Hamlet, he too remembered the unearthly events of that night. It seemed that in his dying days, John questioned the limits of our earthly knowledge and pondered the dark mysteries that lie undiscovered in this world. This listener's true paranormal experience truly amazes me. And it's not just because it's a terrifying experience. It's actually because I personally have never heard of an entity that acts in the way that those two shadow beings did. By that I mean we've all heard of psychopomps, like the Grim Reaper, a spirit who comes to take you to the other side. However, for me, it's the first time I've heard a story which posits the existence of some other supernatural entity which exists to seemingly impact you mid-life. The Reaper waits for you at the end, but perhaps these entities are all around us during the middle. I can sadly offer nothing into the descriptions of the two entities binding together like snakes and disappearing. That, and indeed the entire old rectory itself, is going to take a lot more investigation. However, I will say, on a personal note, that even from a child, when I think of the ghost that I would least like to see, it would have to be a darkened figure wearing a wide-rimmed hat. Not your standard hatman hat, more of the old-fashioned priest hat. Large, round, 
and absolutely terrifying to see as a silhouette. So personally, this story gave me the creeps in several different ways. Don't forget, if you'd like to receive these episodes ad-free and before everyone else, and of course get full access to the back catalogue of the Patreon-only podcast Dark Bites, head over to patreon.com forward slash thedarkparanormal. And finally, thank you for choosing to spend your time with me here on the show. We'll be back next week, where we also hope to have an update on a previous case from this season. And so, until then, remember, when you're talking about the paranormal, always try and leave a bit of your disbelief at the door. And I'll speak to you next time, here on The Dark Paranormal. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.